If you have your Bibles, open them up to 1 John chapter 2. We're ready for chapter 2 this morning. I want to ask you guys to also find John 15 in verse number 9 or 10. We're going to um, kind of accent what, one of the places I want to start in 1 John this morning. Also in John 15, we'll get to that. We've been continuing, if you're new this morning or just joining this series, we've been in a series in uh, the book of 1 John called The Friend of Jesus. And as you know, John is the, the author of five books in the New Testament. He wrote the Gospel of John, then later was um, exiled to the island of Patmos after a failed uh, um, attempt on his life. After he got back from the island of Patmos, the last three books that were written in the New Testament chronologically in time were 1st, 2nd, and 3rd John. And he wrote them in Ephesus where John pastored the largest church of the 1st of the century. A church that had some really cool pastors. Paul was its pastor at one point. Apollos was his pastor. Possibly Timothy was his pastor. Not Apollos, Silas. Paul, Silas, and Timothy, and now old man John comes back and he plants roots in this church in Ephesus. And there in Ephesus, old man John brings this message of... The message of 1 John was the message of... Starts with an L. The message of... What? Love. So the message of 1 John, basically very simple, is love. As you guys know, in 1st, 2nd, and 3rd John, Old Man John only uses 304 vocabulary words. 15, um, 5,000 different vocabulary words in the New Testament. Old Man John is just keeping it simple, which means we're going to see a lot of redundancy and a lot of familiarity. And the message of Old Man John is really very simple. And if there was any person that could come and just really blow your mind with some deep theology was the guy who wrote the book of Revelation. The guy who was standing in the future, quickened by the Spirit to see with his own eyes things that haven't even yet happened. As, as, the, as the Bible says, God brought him and showed him these things that are going to take place. He's the guy that could have brought it and blew us all away. But old man John, late in life, having, having walked with Jesus and known, the, known Jesus for, for 80 years at this point in his life, just brings a simple message. And, and the heart of his message is this. Love one another. Okay, look at your neighbor and say, I love you. Now look at your other neighbor. The one that you chose second. And say, well, you know, but I still love you too. We... Uh, you know, it, it really shouldn't be so so strange for us, right, to have this concept of of love one another, because it's 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 the heart of the gospel. Jesus said, "A new commandment I give you that you love one another." And, and then um, Jesus told us, "If you love me," and what we're going to get into in the beginning part here today, "If you love me, you'll do what I command." And so that's why I'm having you hold a finger in John 15, First John. Let's catch the first two verses, and then. Um, we will we will get into the the second half. So, First John chapter two verse one says, "My little children, these things I write to you, so that you may not sin. And if anyone sins, we have an advocate with the Father, Jesus Christ, the righteousness." I already feel the air cooling off in here. Some of you guys are going to be freezing in a minute now. Now you're going to be complaining. It's too cold. Hey, real quick before we do that, let's. Um, Four things I told you guys I want you to learn. And then also I told you guys I want you reading every week 1 John, all five chapters, okay? I'd like you to read them five times in the week, plus your regular reading. This is supplementary, but at least once or twice in preparation each week. As you just read through 1 John, it will change your life. There's, there's probably five, four to seven different reasons why John writes to us. But we're going to take four and I want you to memorize them. We're going over them every week at the beginning of the reasons why John wrote 1 John. Because he tells us very clearly. And we see this statement. These things we write to you. First thing in chapter 1 verse 4. John says, these things we write to you that your joy may be full. The second thing we write to you that you, may, that you, that you sin. That you sin not. The third reason John writes this is so that you be not deceived. 
You guys getting these? We're like on week three. You got to be getting these now. The, the next one, John says, these things we write that you may know that you have eternal life. Okay, one more time. These things we write to you that your joy may be full. These things we write to you that you sin. These things we write to you that you be not deceived. And these things we write to you that you may know that you have eternal life. And so those four things, and as we get to them, we're going to really camp on them and highlight them. And um, my little children, verse number, chapter two, verse one, my little children, these things I write to you so that you may not sin. And if anyone sins, we have an advocate with the father, Jesus Christ, the righteous. And he himself is the propitiation for our sins and not for ours only, but also for the whole world. Now, Last week, you guys remember the, the, the movie clip they showed of the princess bride and the, the woman telling her husband and calling her husband a liar? They, they, someone picked up on the fact that I've been calling you guys liar. And they knew where I got that quote from. I think a couple weeks ago, I've been quoting great theologians in, in, in here the last couple weeks. I just want you guys to know. A couple weeks ago, it was Nacho Libre, the great theologian. Last week, it was Princess Bride. Who knows what I'll dazzle you with this week with the quotes from these great theologians. But here, John, old man, John, he's going to tell you here in this chapter that you're a liar, that you murdered Jesus and and that you got problems. And he's going to deal with those problems. Now, what's interesting, what's cool is that the way that John is going to approach us is, is really gentle. Women, you should maybe know this if you've been married long enough about your husbands by now, right? There's a certain way that you can approach your husband that'll work and another way that won't. And kind of how you start a conversation really depends on on the outcome and how someone's going to receive it. It's like my wife will come and she'll say, you never take out the trash. And I'm like, nope, there was that time in 1969. I took it out. I might not have made it all the way out to the curb, but I got it to like the front door. So this conversation, we argue about this word never because we started the conversation wrong. And, and, and how you start a conversation is going to depend on the success of, of where you're going to go. And so having an art or a skill of, of, of starting on the right foot, and especially if you're talking to lughead husbands like me, there's, there's a craft to it. Well, John here maybe has some things that are a little bit kind of serious that he wants to talk to us about today. Some things that, that, that might step on our toes or punch us between the eyes, but not to worry. Because John says here, what does verse 1 say? Oh, my little children, my little children. He says to you, he's being gentle and, and he is in sincerity. John is coming across and he wants you to hear his heart first, that he loves you, that he cares about you. That, that, that he is the apostle of love and, and he addresses you very gently in this opening statement as little children that, that are tender to these issues. But, but um, let, let's, let's talk about some things. Let, let's really meet about some things that are important. How many of you guys had, I don't know, a mom or a dad who, maybe a teacher, maybe a coach, maybe a mentor somewhere along your life who sat you down and told you some things about yourself? that were true, that weren't easy to hear. You know, I remember when Lydia's dad, he sat me down one time and he told me, you don't listen. And I'm like, I I listen fine. I just heard what you said. I don't listen. And he said, no, 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 no. You don't listen. You, you hear me, but you don't listen. And, And it was a weakness in my life. I didn't, I didn't listen well. I heard everything somebody would tell me, but I already decided what I was going to do. And I just wasn't a good listener and, and I didn't pay attention and I didn't listen. I'm the, I'm the guy that goes, you know, like I wasn't the guy that wasn't, a, that was afraid to ask for directions. I'm not that guy. Like I'm too stubborn. No, I just know where I'm at and lost all the time. That wasn't me. I pull over at every gas station. Hey, how do I get to so-and-so? How do I get to so-and-so? The problem was I'd get back in the car and I'd go, okay, he said, go up to the light and make a, oh shoot. Is that a left or a right? And I, and I heard it and I, and I thought I was listening, but I wasn't listening. I just didn't do that well. And I didn't like it. I didn't like to hear that. But those things change our lives, right? Those kind of conversations, those important conversations, they help us mold us who we are. And John here is going to, you know, he's going to have a couple of those with us here in this chapter. But he, he's coming to us gentle and, and with encouragement. And he says, these things I write to you that you might, that you may not sin. And so... 
the, the goal of our Christian life, hear this, is that um, we, we, we don't sin, right? I mean, if we live our lives, the reality is we want to serve God and we don't want to sin. And we don't want to live our Christian life like, well, I just want to sin a little bit less. I just want to sin not as much or as often. If that's you, I'm going to challenge you today to raise the bar a little bit. That, that, that Jesus said, in, in speaking of this same topic, Jesus used some really strong language to get your attention and my attention in dealing with sin. He said, if your right hand causes you to sin, cut it off. How many of you guys cut your right hand off? I see a bunch of right hands in here. He said, if your right eye causes you to sin, pluck it out. And, and yet, Jesus used some strong language to get across the point to us that we have to deal with sin in our lives. That, that, that he, it's not his, his heart or his goal that we cut our arm off, that we pluck our eye out, but he does want us to, you have to eradicate sin. You can't like pull back on sin. You can't reform sin. You can't like put sin in a box and like control it. You have to get rid of it. You have to eradicate it. You have to annihilate it from your life. And our goal is that we, we live without sin in Jesus. And the reality is if we walk around and our, our, our biggest goals in, in our Christian walk and following Christ is just that we, maybe I just don't sin as much. We, we, we want to get rid of that, right? And, and whatever we do, we'd like to have the goal that we succeed. When we play the guitar and we lead a song, when we, we'd like to have a goal that we hit every note in that song. You know, if your musician's goal is, I just hope I hit like three or four along the way, not, not real good goals, right? And so our goal is that we, we, we want to not sin as we walk with Christ. That's, that's each one of our, I would say that's each one of our aims in our hearts. Now, how many of us achieve that goal of not sinning? Rick scratched his head. I thought he was raising his hand. Well, I know better than that. So... So, so the reality is John told us last week, right? Chapter one, that we all sin. That if you say you, you have not sinned, that you're a, no, you're a liar. So we have sin and and yet, but so here's the cool thing. So John's going to encourage us first. And he says, so we know we have sin, but we have an advocate with the father, Jesus Christ, the righteous. And so you have an advocate. An advocate is a, is a. It's a legal term that, that, that means you have someone that's on your side. You have someone that will fight for you. You have someone that will stand in your place. And then, and then he goes on, he explains how this works and how Jesus becomes our advocate, our champion in this thing of sin. And it says that in verse 2, And he himself is the propitiation for our sins, not for ours only, but also for the whole world. Everybody say propitiation. And you're not even cursing. I know it sounds like it, but propitiation. So what is propitiation? It's important that we understand what the word propitiation means. It's used five times in the New Testament. The Apostle Paul says the same thing in Romans. That, that, that Jesus is our propitiation. That means that Jesus is our substitute. He died in our place and he took what we deserve that we might inherit the righteousness of God. I heard someone describe propitiation before as, as a substitute. or th- There was a story, true story in the United States. It happened in the 40s. And there was a guy in the 40s, and he, he was an operator of a bridge that would let um, boats go in the water. And then when they closed the bridge, it was a train bridge. And the train would come across the bridge. And this bridge operator one day brought his son with him to work. His son had a day off, and he came to work with his father. And the bridge was open and the sun went down and the father was showing him the, the, the gears and how things work. And, and then they noticed the train was coming and the father had to get up into the booth and close the bridge so that the train could pass. And the father told the son to wait for him in, in this area that was safe over here as he would go and he would close the, the, the drawbridge so that the train could go across. And, and as the, the father got up, he didn't know the son followed him. And as the son followed him, he got his leg caught in, in a five-ton gear. And the father gets all the way into the booth. He goes through his checks. He's got time. He needs to start lowering the bridge because the train is coming. And he notices that his son is caught in the gears. And he has a choice to make. He can close the bridge and save the 400 people that are aboard the train and kill his own son. True story. Or, or, or he, he sacrifices the life of the train and everybody on it for his son. And the story goes on 
that the father closed the bridge and, and the gears grinded his son and his son died and the 400 people on the train lived. And, the, and it's a picture, they would say, that, 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 G, that God gave his son in our place. And, and, and that kind of starts to paint the picture of propitiation or, or God giving his son. But the reality is that's not really how it happened. It would be more like if, if the guy got into the, the booth and his son was with him, And those gears needed oil in order to turn and close the bridge. And and as the guy tried to close the bridge for the train coming, the gears wouldn't turn. And then the father took his son and placed his son in the gears. And as the the gears ripped him open, his blood would provide the the gear oil and the bridge would would close properly. That's more a picture of what God did is God gave his son to shed his blood for our sins. And, and, you know, the, the whole idea, right, the concept of, of God sending his son is, is a little bit difficult for some of us. Because if you think of that practical situation as that father, what father in here would take their son and put him in the gears? Nobody would do that. I'm not giving my son. I'm not, I'm not going to do that to my own son. I don't have it in me. But what I might have in me is if I go myself. And I would go and, and, and I would get in there myself to save their lives, but I would never give the life of my son. It's difficult to understand a father who gives the life of his son. But you know what's different about God? Is that Jesus is God. He's not created by God. He's not a, he, he is God. And that's why John tells us, and he starts by telling us that in the beginning was God, and the, the Word was with God, and the Word was God. God himself took on flesh, became a man, and died on a cross in your place, in my place, to provide a bridge, to provide a way of salvation so that you and I someday, the price could be paid and we could stand before a righteous judge. And as the judge looks at you and looks at me and and you're guilty and the sentence is eternity in hell, that Jesus will show up and that Jesus will will take your place and he will vouch for you as your advocate, as your propitiation, as your substitute, as your sins are poured out upon him and forgiven. And then God can look at you. And when God looks at you, he sees his son and you're welcome and and provided a way of salvation. And and God, God sent himself. Jesus is God who, who came out of heaven and became a man and humbled himself for you and I as a substitute. And then he goes on and he says that in verse number three, now by this, we know that we know him if we keep his commandments. There, there's this call of God to keep his commandments. Somebody say commandments. What do you guys think of? Turn with me. You guys got your finger in John 15. Turn with me to John 15. We're going to look at verse number nine. Now, if I said to you, and Jesus said this, but how would you guys how would you guys like it if I said, "Hey, you guys want to be my friend? You guys can be my friend. I'll be your friend. Check it out. I'll be your friend if you just do whatever I say." Some of you guys are like, "I got some friends like that." But yet, but yet God says that. Jesus said that in John 15. Here John, the apostle John, old man John is going to tell us, he's going to say, "Hey, if you do what I command, if you do what Jesus commands, he calls you friends or he'll be your friends." And, and you know what? I, John 15 is like my life verse. That, that study we're going to do next Sunday night, I had to come up with a name. And I'm not real creative. And I got one chapter in the Bible that is like my chapter. It's John chapter 15. It's a chapter that God put on my heart when I was new Christian. And this whole idea of abide in Christ. And so that's why we're calling that abide. It's, it's my place. If I need a go-to place, if I run out of sermon material and you show up next week, guess where we're going to be? We're going to be somewhere in John 15 because that's like my go-to preach. But, but in John 15, there's, there's a little bit of a, a dilemma that I have as, as I try to walk out my, 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 my friendship with Christ. This idea that if I do whatever he commands, he'll be my friend. Does that mean that if we sin or if we don't do everything he commands, he's not our friend? What does that mean? How, how, does, that, how does that play out in our Christianity, in our daily walk when it says, let's look at it in John 15. You guys with me? Verse number nine. As the Father loved me, I also have loved you. Abide in my love. Amen. So abide means to remain with, to be one with, to stay in touch with, to stay in at home with. 
And then it says in verse number 10, if you keep my commandments, if you keep my commandments, you will abide in my love just as I have kept my father's commandments and abide in his love. These things I have spoken to you that my joy may remain in you and that your joy may be full. This is the commandment that you love one another as I have loved you. Greater love has no one than this than to lay down one's life for his friends. Verse 14. You are my friends if you do whatever I command you. What's the key word in verse number 14? Oh, you guys are good. You guys are so smart. If. Do you guys have it underlined, circled in your Bible? Now, how does this play out? It says, you are my friends if you do whatever I command you. Doesn't that sound like religion? Doesn't that sound like some of our, maybe our neighbors and some people that I talk about often who, who live their lives to, to try to please God and make relationship with God through, through doing the rules and the regulations and passing out tracts and going to church and paying your tithes. And, and if you do all these things that I command you, then, then we can kick it, Jesus says. It, it, isn't it, doesn't it feel a little inconsistent with, with the Jesus that we know? The Jesus that John preaches? Well, then what does it mean? What, is it, what does he mean, if you do my commandments, you'll be my friends? Well, first of all, we have to understand, and the first thing we have to separate here is that this is not an issue of salvation. This is not an issue that if you do what I command you, then you get to go to heaven or hell. Who's John talking to in First John? He's talking to his little children. He's talking to believers. And he's talking about being a friend of Jesus and having communion and relationship with Jesus. What we, just, what we talked about last week was, if, if it's all about friendship and love, then why did John kick it off with light? The reason why he started with light was because he, light deals with sin in our lives. And if we have sin in our lives, sin creates a, a cloud that, that, that interrupts, that gets in the way of our fellowship or our friendship or our closeness with Jesus. So the issue of, of doing what God commands, it's not an issue of salvation. It's an issue of relationship. It's an issue of closeness, of friendship. And the reality is once you, you know why I do what Jesus commands me to do? Because I want to. Because I get to. Because I'm pleased to. Because I I know that he loves me and that he wants what's best for me. And I know that he will bless my life. And I know that he will take care of me. And I learn to trust him and walk with him. And I want to serve him. And naturally, Jesus is going over there. I want to go over there. Jesus looks like this. This is how I want to look. Jesus talks like that. That's how I want to talk. Jesus, his heart is like this. That's the heart that I want to have. And we want to be like Jesus and do what he commands. You know, if so as we walk out, we're already saved. We're born again, right? We're we're walking with Jesus and and we're trying to do what he commands us. Now, again... This cannot mean that if we make a mistake, then he's not our friend or he doesn't, he doesn't love us as much. Haven't we already established that God can't love you any less? Do you guys remember what I said last week about God's love for you? I said that if you, instead of coming here this morning, if you went to the bar instead, would God love you any less tomorrow morning? You guys aren't sure? God can't love you any less. You're his child and he he gave his life for you. He gave his son for you. And we're not talking about a matter of God's compassion and love and his devotion. The Bible says that for God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son that whosoever believes in him should not perish but have everlasting life. The Bible says that while you were yet sinners, Christ died for you. And and, and it's not a matter of, of God's love for you. it's more a matter of our love for him. It's more a matter of our closeness with him. It's more a matter of this invitation that God gives to you and me that is so amazing that that he, he invites us into a friendship, a closeness. You know, one of the things I get the most jealous of in my life when I see somebody who just is in tune with God and, and I know God speaks to him and, and, and God's light and love just flows out of their life. And I'm like, Oh, I want some of that. Why, why don't I feel like that? Why don't I hear God like you hear God? How do you have this, this closeness with Jesus and this relationship with God? Where does that come from? I want some of that. 
And, and that's what this is talking about in commandments. It's, it's a relationship that John lived. And I'll tell you, of all the people who ever lived on planet Earth and walked in flesh, nobody was closer to Jesus than John, old man John. The beloved disciple, five times the Holy Spirit tells us that he's the beloved disciple, the disciple whom Jesus loved. James tells us in, 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 in the epistle of James, God says, if you draw near to me, I'll draw near to you. So, so John's heart was so in love with Jesus and so close to Jesus that Jesus responded to that love. And John is the best friend of Jesus. Jesus is BFF. And, and in, this, in this, you know, the Bible says some crazy stuff. The Bible says in one place, it says, work out your own salvation with fear and trembling. I give up. You know, disciples did that a couple of times. They just gave up. They're like, well, who can be saved then, Jesus? We don't get it. Like until Jesus explained what he was talking about. But work out your own salvation with fear and trembling? That's so counterintuitive to everything I know about, about Christ. He worked out my salvation. But, but it's talking about this relationship. It's talking about walking it out. Walking out your Christianity. Growing close to Jesus. Learning of him. Learning to be his friend. Right? So we, get, we can go back to John now. First John, I'm sorry. I, I want to kind of illustrate this a little bit. So you're going to have to bear with me. We, we, we are going to sin, right? We, we realize we're going to sin. So John establishes in chapter 2 the fact that, hey, in this, in this BFF, in this relationship that I want you to experience with Jesus, in this closeness that, that I want you to have and that's available to you with Jesus, that, that you are going to sin. It's not a license for sin. It doesn't mean then we say, okay, hey, we're going to sin. We sin and then we ask for forgiveness and we live our lives like, Jesus, sorry for what I did yesterday and what I'm about to do tomorrow and tonight, but you're going to forgive me once I do it. That's obviously Paul's already established that that's, that's wrong. We don't live that way. And so, but yet we're going to sin, right? So every time we sin, do we just throw in the towel? What about, what about John himself? Did John throw in the towel when he sinned? John was the guy who wanted to murder people when they didn't follow Jesus. Did, jo- did John's life get redirected? Are you guys all right today? Do I need to dance? Would that be more entertaining? I don't dance very good. Not anymore. Um, so stay with me. Give me like an amen or something. Pretend you're like at the Pentecostal church or something every once in a while. Um, so John, who has this friendship of Jesus... We're, we're, we're going to sin. And, but but this, in this relation, let me tell you how it worked out in my life. Maybe that'd be the best way to do it. When, when I grew up in a, in, a, in a non-Christian home, we didn't go to church on Sundays growing up. We, um, I got saved when I was 20 years old. When I was 20 years old, I, I was fully addicted to drugs at 20 years old. I don't remember how old I was. I think I was probably somewhere in my teens, young teens. And my brother was, was overdosing. And I, I, I believe he was trying to commit suicide. And he was missing. And we were trying to find him. And I found him down the street from my house, hidden behind a fence, trying to die on a drug overdose. And, and, and I can remember the impact that it had on my life. And, it, and I can remember saying to myself in that point, like, I, I don't want to, I, I, didn't, I didn't know Christ. But I knew that I didn't want that when I grew up. And so when I asked Jesus in my heart, here I am 20 years old, and in my heart I feel like I'm, I'm heading in that direction. And, and, and I'm heading in the direction I've seen so many of my friends and my brother's friends go down the wrong way, and the, and the drugs and the lifestyles completely destroyed their lives, and I don't want that. And, and, and here I am starting to fall into those footsteps, and by the grace of God I got saved, and I asked Jesus in my heart. And that night I know that God delivered me immediately. But, you know, I didn't walk in that deliverance that night, unfortunately. But by the, by the grace of God, God, God brought me out of L.A. I got, I got out of the situation that I was in. God had to change my heart. It didn't matter where I was in the world. If my heart wasn't going to change, my circumstance wasn't going to change my heart. My heart had to change my circumstance. So I ended up in a place in a small um, Calvary Chapel church. Just happened to be the family that I moved. I moved to Hemet. It's about two hours east of L.A., and, and, and living in Hemet with a Christian family, I got involved in this, this little Christian church, brand new believer, still addicted to drugs. Asked Jesus in my heart, born again. And I started growing. 
And I started seeking Jesus. And my heart was really just melted for God. I had this radical conversion where, you know, it was emotional. And, and, and I felt the power of the Holy Spirit come in and change my life. And, and I was starting to grow in that church. And I was getting in the Word. Praise God. Uh, somebody gave me a Bible. And, and, and I got good advice right in the beginning. Get in the Word. And at night, I would read the Word. And I was journaling. And I was growing so much. And God, all these things in the Bible were jumping off. You know what was a trip? That was an NIV Bible that I had. Yeah, I know. God still used it. He spoke in it. I used it for a long time. It was, it was how I grew. It wasn't until I got to Bible college in my second year and I learned that, you know, it wasn't good enough, you know, or something. But anyways, it's God's Word and it spoke to me clearly. And then I got the only inspired version, the King James, New King James Version, now that I use. That's, we're good now. But in that process, I would have weekends in those early days. And on my free weekend off, I would... I would be anxious to go home and I would go home to LA and I would find my friends that I was, that I was with before I became a Christian, when I became a Christian, kids that I grew up with that I loved dearly. And, and, and before you knew it, I was in the same places. I was having a terrible weekend. I was doing things I wasn't supposed to be doing again. And I had to be back to work Monday. So Sunday I'd be driving home and, 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 and the, I would repent, sincere repentance. And I, I was breaking. I didn't want to live that lifestyle anymore. I wanted to be different. I wanted to change. I felt a call of God. I wanted to serve Jesus. And I was sinning on the outside, but my heart was saying, God, I don't want to be that person. I don't want to end up that way. I don't want to end up overdosing on drugs and dead and all these things. Lord, I want to, I want to change. And yet I'm sinning and, and I'm blown and I'm struggling. And I'm in church on Sunday with my hands raised. And I'm, I'm, I'm Friday on my way back to L.A. And I know exactly where I'm going to go when I get there. And, and, and there's struggle that's going back and forth. But my heart, you know what the difference was? Even though on the outside, I wasn't doing uh, all the commandments of Jesus. Do you know what my heart was doing? My heart was sincerely saying, God, I want your heart. Help me. Change me. Mold me. And, and then I went through this thing where I, I learned the love of Jesus during this time. I memorized John 3.16. I used to go to youth group in 7th and 8th grade with, some na- with a neighbor kid, the same kid I moved to Hemet with. And I knew John 3.16 in my head, but not in my heart. And, and I had this kind of theology in those days that if I sinned and I blew it, which I was blowing it, that, that God was going to have to do something terrible to me so we could get even. And, and I would be walking up the stairs to my apartment and, and I would break my ankle. And then I would say, okay, sweet. Um, we're good. I, I, God broke my ankle. The LA trip is covered. The sins washed. Those two wash. And, and then if I if I blew it and I sinned again, then my dog would die. And if my dog died, then then me and God would be good. And that God had this system where He would pay me back every time I was blowing it. And I deserved my dog to die and my ankle to break for for the things that I was doing. And I would get alone with the Lord. And God would grant to me this sincere repentance. And I would say, God, I, I, I want to change. Please help me change. I don't want to live that lifestyle. And, and, and now you can, you, know, you can break my leg or kill my dog. And God would say, as clear as I've ever heard God speak through this process in my life, as clear as, as audible to my heart, God would say, I love you. And I would just die inside. It was just of all the things that God could say to me, that's what he wanted to say to me. And it was so powerful in my life. It was so changing in my life because I then understood what the love of God meant. And he just said, I love you. I said, how could you love me? Did you see what I just did? Do you know where I just was, right? Like you were there, right? You were watching. You didn't like take a break. You saw me. Yeah, I saw you. I love you. You don't want to kill my dog? No, I love you. And I went through this process of God telling me he loved me. He loved me in spite of who I was, in spite of the mistakes. And you know what happened? That love, it inspired me. It changed me. The Bible says it's the love of Christ that changes our hearts. And, and, and that love to this day is what motivates me to do what God commands me. Amen. And it can't be, it can't be anything else. It has to be a response, a spontaneous response to the love of Christ in our lives that motivates us to, to, to do his commandments. And if all we have is the flesh and all we have is fear and all we have is rules and regulations, we're never going to be motivated that way. You know, it was interesting. The Bible says all the way through in the, in the house that I grew up with. My mom's here today, by the way. We said my mom. So excited. She's here. Have to have a beautiful little baby girl to get her to come visit. We'll do it. We'll take it, whatever it takes. Um, 
She came out last year. We had a, uh, a gumbo cook-off, me versus mom, and she kicked my butt. Um, so maybe we have to have another gumbo cook-off while she's here. My, my friend when I was growing up, his name was Jeff, and Jeff was just crazy as they come. Jeff's dad was a former college basketball player. He's like 6'7". He's got a pic, they got a picture in their living room of, um, I was going to say his Mr. Name, but we'll, we'll leave it off. We'll leave it off the, the tape. Um, Mr. Jeff's dad has a, a picture in his living room and a basketball court. The rim is 10 feet. And then there's a box. I don't know how tall the box is, two feet above a basketball court. And his dad's jumping and he's touching the top of that, that box and he's got this picture of himself in there. And so he's a big guy and, and just a cool guy. I played college basketball, real athletic. And when we were in high school, we all got, we went out. I think we probably did it in his bedroom or something. But we, we got earrings. And nobody asked permission. We just went and got hoop earrings. And, and so Je- Jeff comes home and his dad sees his earring in his ear. And his dad's like, oh, that's cool. You got an earring. Let me check that out. And Jeff walked up and his dad grabbed the earring and ripped it out of his ear. And... I came home that same day with an earring in my ear and probably without permission. But, you know, it's just different. I grew up with a single mom and, you know, I never I never had the fear like I would if I was at Jeff's house that my mom was going to grab my earring and rip it out. And then he probably followed it with a smack upside the head. But w- with my mom growing up, it was always that she would just let you know, like you, you broke her heart or you disappointed her. And that, and that the things that you did, like she wasn't going to beat you up or spank you for him, but... It, it broke her heart, and, and, and even that motivated growing up. Like, I didn't, and I was not a good kid, not trying to twist it, but uh, when I was, when I did make good decisions, oftentimes it was because I didn't want to break my mom's heart. And not because I was afraid of her beating me up or doing these things, but I didn't want to break her heart. I didn't want to see that look on her face. And when I did break her heart, I wanted to change and be different. And that is what John is talking about. That's what old man John is talking about. He's talking about, I do his commandments through this relationship that's motivated by love. And that's like the barrel. That's the place we want to be as we walk with Christ is that we're motivated because we don't want to break the father's heart. Now, I also don't want you to get it twisted. Is God capable of ripping that thing out of your ear and smacking you upside the head? <laughs> he could do that too. He, he, he'll take you to the woodshed if he has to. You know, God, God will discipline us if he has to just as well. But, but just, just as important is this, this heart of wanting to do what, what God calls us to do. In verse 4 it says, He who says, I know him and does not keep his commandments is a liar and the truth is not in him. But whoever keeps his word, truly the love of God is perfected in him. By this we know, by this we know that we are in him. You know, this idea of knowing is, is an idea of bearing fruit. And again, people can fake it, they can lie, they can hide. But the reality is that if you do have that, that, that tight relationship with Jesus that I talked about being jealous of seeing somebody, knowing somebody who just, you know, glows with Jesus because they put in the time, they, their hearts are motivated, they did the work, they spent time getting to know Jesus. And I'm not saying, and I'm not trying to preach that, oh, we just work, 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 work real hard to be close to Jesus. And if you work hard enough and you do enough, then you can have that, that glow, that Jesus glow that, you know, cool people have. That, that, that's, that, that misses the heart. There, there is a reality. There is a work. There, there is a reality of, of being in the word that, that invests, that sows seeds into your spirit, of, of spending time where, you know, even if it feels unfruitful in the beginning, where you, you get alone and you pray on a daily basis, where you read God's word, where you spend time with Jesus, you wake up in the morning with Jesus, you go to bed at night with Jesus. Jesus is on your mind. He's on your heart. When you have to make a decision on the fly, you pause for a second and you ask Jesus to help you make that decision. And you do. You build this, this relationship with Jesus. In verse 5 it says, But whoever keeps his word, truly the love of God is perfected in him. By this we know that we are in him. And in verse 6 it says, He who says he abides in him ought himself also to walk just as he walks. So, if you know, the world thinks we're crazy. Let me check my time. The world thinks we're crazy. Because we, we want to do things that, that Jesus does. That we abstain from certain sins or sexual immorality or, or stealing. You know, like the guy who, true story, but there was a guy and there was a bank truck and the, a bunch of money, big bags of money fell off the bank truck. Hundreds of thousands of dollars, free cash in these, in these bank bags. 
And this guy turns it in. Do you, do you, he got so much hate mail and death threats because people were so mad. Why didn't you keep it? Like, you didn't get it. Like, oh, you had all this money. It was free. It was yours. And you did what? You did the right thing? People were ready to kill him over it. And, and the world just doesn't get it. They don't understand. Like, no, I'm, I want to go. I want to go to Hungary and take all my family and move over there and serve Jesus because because that's where Jesus is. I want to go where He goes. I want to do what He does. I want to be where He is. I want to look like He looks. I want to talk like He talks. And we want to, we want Jesus. We want to be like Him and where He is. And the world just doesn't get it. In verse seven, it says, "Brethren, I write to you no new commandment to you, but an old commandment which you have had." heard from the beginning the old commandment is the word which you heard from the beginning again a new commandment i write to you which thing is true in him and in you because the darkness is passing away and the true light is already shining really quick so this gets a little confusing just on the onset because john says a new commandment an old commandment no new commandment i write to you and now i give you a new commandment the the commandment is is love love one another the commandment is what jesus gave but it's, it's not a new commandment. It's not a new commandment because the Bible tells us in Deuteronomy chapter 6, verse 4, the great Shema, Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, mind, and soul. And, and so the, the commandment to love the Lord our God with all our heart, mind, and soul is not a new commandment. It's, it's, it's the great Shema. It's the great mantra of Israel to this day. So John says, a no, I don't write you a new commandment because it's, it's an old commandment, but yet a new commandment I write you. And then he says the same thing. So what's different? What's different in the New Testament and this new commandment that John gives us of loving one another is this personal relationship, that, this friendship that we can have with Jesus as we walk this out in our life. And that's what cha- what's changed from an old to the new. Is, is we live. Jesus said that, you know, that, that you're the greatest in the kingdom of God. Anything on this side of the cross. Because, because you have Jesus. Because you have opportunity to have relationship, to have intimacy with Jesus in your life. Are you guys yet getting the, the, the whole thing here that it's all about Jesus? Have you heard that yet? I could probably talk about something else now, huh? It's all it is. It's about Jesus, Jesus, Jesus. Or if you get that, we could be done. We could go home. We'll wrap it up right here and be done but that that is what we're talking about you guys that is what the heart of this is that's what he's saying over and over again that's the message is that it's about jesus you know we talked about last week it doesn't matter if we play hymns or if we play traditional music or if we play contemporary music without jesus it don't matter it don't matter if we have lights on the stage or tvs or we have projectors or monitors none of that matters without jesus all those are minors without jesus we're nothing Without Jesus, our worship is nothing. It doesn't matter if we raise our hands or sit down. Without Jesus, we have nothing. He goes on. Let's, let's get through 17 or 14 and then we'll be done. In verse number 9, he says, He who says he is in the light and hates his brother is in darkness until now. We do got to take a minute, park the car on this one. We went up yesterday to uh, Little Cottonwood Canyon and Big Cottonwood. Last year... We went up when the, when the fall leaves were changing. And we don't have four seasons where I grew up or in, in Yucca Valley where I lived a lot of my adult life. And so the fall in Utah is one of the things that is really special. Like the reds and the yellows and the greens. Yay, nay? You guys have seen it your whole life and you're like, nah. Or it's good. Or is it just me coming from... So last year, Lydia and I just, we didn't really know. We had some friends coming in from California. We took a drive up to Canyon, and we must have been there on the one day of the year that it was just the most brilliant, beautiful colors in all the world. We saw reds and yellows and greens and all mashed together. And we're like, so, so two weeks later, um, our sister-in-law came out, and Lydia said, oh my gosh, you got to go up to the Canyon. We got to go check it out. And, and she went up there. There was nothing there. It was all falling. It was gone. It was brown. It was just was totally different. So I'm like, Lord, why didn't, you know, like you guys ever have any of those trees in your house or anything? My mom has one. It's a cactus and it gets these beautiful flowers on it one day a year. That's all you get one day a year and then they're gone. And I'm like, shouldn't you make them last a little bit, Lord, so we can appreciate them. But so anyways, we go up yesterday and, and we're looking around and, you know, we're taking, Greg's taking pictures out the window at some things. And, and then there's certain things that were like really cool. We had to stop the car and get out and park for a minute and like check it out. 
So I said all that to tell you, we're going to park the car right here for a minute in verse number nine. And uh, we're, we're just going to talk about this for a minute. Okay, verse number nine, I'm going to read it again. It says, he who says he is in the light and hates his brother is in darkness until now. Now, now the first principle is, as a Christian, you have to forgive. Everybody say, forgive. forgive. Okay, you already told somebody you love them. Now tell somebody else you forgive them. They didn't know you. They were mad at you, but that's okay. So, um, you understand, right? That there's, no, there's no gray area here. Just being frank. If, if you're a born-again believer in Jesus Christ, if you're a Christ follower, you have to forgive. You, you, you now have forfeited the right to hold unforgiveness towards anybody in your life. Now listen, you don't have to be BFFs. You don't have to keep somebody close to you because they're harmful and they're hurtful in your life. That's not what the Bible teaches. The Bible teaches exactly the opposite. That, that we should use wisdom, that we should use discernment when we choose our friends and our circles, that iron sharpens iron. And if somebody in your life is wood and it's making your life dull, get them out of your life by all means. Have nothing to do with them. Don't hang out with them. Don't spend time with them. Don't cast your pearls before swine, the Bible says. But in the area of matters of your heart, if you have somebody that you're bitter at, somebody that you will not forgive, and I hear it all the time, I just can't. You don't know what they did to me and I I just can't forgive. But unfortunately or fortunately for you, because Jesus loves you so much, he's not giving you a choice because bitterness does not destroy the person that you hate or the person that you're angry with. Bitterness destroys yourself, your health, and the people that love you the most, the people that are the closest to you that you care about the most. Bitterness and hatred of other people destroys their lives and not the people you're bitter against. And and it's, it's, it's an irony it's, it's, it's something that just doesn't make sense. And John, old man John, is not pulling any punches. He's shooting us straight. And he's just telling the truth. You cannot hate your brother and love God. One is true and the other is a lie. They both can't be true. Jesus said the same thing, right? What did Jesus say? Jesus said, if you have anger in your heart towards your brother, you've committed murder in your heart. And then the Bible tells us, Jesus gives us a story about forgiveness. And he illustrates it this way for us. Very simple, easy to understand. Don't quote me on the numbers. I'm going to make them up as I go. This guy owed the king millions of dollars. And, and, and proportionally, the numbers are, are right. They, they, they give it justice. And so, so the guards find and catch this man that owes the king millions of dollars in this parable that Jesus gives. And they bring him up to the king and the guy throws himself on the mercy of the king. And he says, King, I I don't have the millions of dollars, but I will work and I will pay you. Will you just give me time and and will you let me pay this debt that I owe you? And the king says, I'm not going to require the debt of you. I'm going to forgive you this debt as if it never happened. You, you You are completely forgiven as if it never happened. You owe me nothing. Go in peace and enjoy. And the guy is so excited. Thank you, O king, for, for forgiving me this debt. He leaves the king's quarters. He crosses the street and he sees a buddy of his that owes him $2. And he runs across the street and he grabs the guy by the neck and he starts shaking him and saying, I want my $2. That's another movie quote, by the way. Some of you got it. <laughs> well, what's the name of the movie? Do we know the name of the movie? Is that the one where the kid's driving down the ski slopes on his, and I want my $2. All right, I'm three for three now. Those are, that was my third uh, theologian quote today. So he wants his $2, the kid for his paper route. Nobody in the nine o'clock service knew that movie but me, and I couldn't think of the name of the movie because it's a pretty old movie, but the kid wanted his $2 all the way through the movie. So he, he, he shakes the guy for his $2. I want my $2. He says, I'll have you, the guy, the guy begins to ask for forgiveness and, and begins to ask that he, would walk, that he would forgive him. And he says, I will never forgive you. You will pay me every penny you owe. And then according to the law, he has the guy thrown into debtor's prison until he can pay the money back. How is the king going to respond when he hears what this guy did after he just forgave him millions of dollars and the guy walks across the street and puts a guy in prison for $2? That, that is the irony of, of God who has forgiven you of so much. And, and again, 
This is John talking. Don't be mad at me, but you, 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 you kind of, and I kind of, in our sins, we murdered Jesus. We're Christ killers. We killed God's son. Our sins killed God's son. God gave his son because he loves us to wash and cleanse and make and give propitiation and be propitiation for our sins. And he's forgiven us so much that no matter what's happened in your life, for you to have unforgiveness is a slap in God's face. And, and it's not granted. And, and now in, in the context of John chapter 2, listen, this is super important because the Holy Spirit organizes this stuff for a reason. So in the context of John chapter 2, we're talking about fellowship. We're talking about fellowship with, John kicks it off, right? That we should have fellowship, first he says, with one another. And truly our fellowship is with the Father and His Son, Jesus Christ. So we're talking about community. We're talking about fellowship. We're talking about loving one another, forgiving one another. And so many times within the body of Christ, you know, we get this thing. Like there's this, you know, young couple that's dating in church and, then, then, then I see the guy in town. He's like, oh yeah, I can't come to your church anymore. She still goes there and I ain't going to that church anymore. I'm like, really? Well, I hope you don't meet a girl at the next church you go to because then, then if things don't work out, you're not going to be able to go to that church and pretty soon you ain't going to have any place to go. You know, and, and, and this, this type of, of hatred that John is talking about, again, it's not like you guys are leaving in the parking lot and somebody cuts you off and then you tell them they're number one. You know, you give them the, Number one finger and, you know, th- this is, this is, a, it's a vitriolic, it's, it's a bitterness that um, wishes continued will on somebody. And if that's in your heart, that has to be dealt with. You know, it's like the two guys, they they were business owners across the street from one another. And they were in competition for the same business and they hated each other. And every time the other one succeeded, the other one was so angry and bitter. Well, one day a genie showed up. And he tells the one store owner, today's your lucky day. I'm going to give you whatever you ask with one catch. Whatever you ask for, I'm going to give the guy across the street double. And he was so angry and he couldn't think of the thought of of asking for a million dollars or success in his business because the guy across the street was going to get double. And he thought long and hard and he said, okay, this is what I want. I want you to pluck one of my eyes out guy across the street would have to have both of his eyes plucked out well the story goes on then then the genie goes across the street and the guy's blind he plucks both of his eyes out and he says he tells him gives him the same deal and he says i'm going to make you a deal now i'll give you whatever you want but the guy across the street's going to get double he's only got one eye across the street this guy's blind he could ask for his sight back something who knows he said he thought about it he said okay i want you to beat me half to death But that, that's the bitterness will destroy your life. And so just, just in a nutshell, John deals with it here. Listen, Christian people, we have to forgive. We, we have to love. If there's somebody in your life, if there's somebody going on and there's that kind of bitterness, release it. It's not going to hurt that person. It's going to hurt you and your family. In verse 10, he says, He who loves his brother abides in the light and there is no cause for stumbling in him. He who hates his brother is in darkness and walks in darkness and does not know where he is going because the darkness has blinded his eyes. And then it says in um, 12 through 14, he says, I write to you little children, young men and fathers, three age groups that he's going to address here. Now, as we go back and forth on these, these three age groups, you know, and you guys could read the commentaries of different scholars and, and, and some are going to agree, some are not. Everybody's going to have an opinion. And um, some say that these three age groups, young men, fathers, and little children, you know, they represent an age of life, a number. And some would say it's not an age in, in life. It's more of a spiritual age because we know that if you're, say, I'm 40 years old when I get born again, and, and at 45, I've been walking with the Lord for five years. And, and, and my, my twin brother's been walking with the Lord since he was 10. He's been walking with the Lord for 35 years. So his spiritual age is 35 and mine is five. And he's had 35 years to mature and grow in his walk. And so that these, these different life groups, they represent not a physical age, but a spiritual age. I, I think really there's both. I think there's two um, wisdom in both looking at this, this next section as both representing young people in our church, physically young people, teenagers, college and career. That's where I fit. 
And then the rest of you, like you middle age, you know, in their life age. And then, and then the old man group, the veteran group, the gray hair group, the group that's been walking with Jesus for a long time. And, and, and that, that, that both are true. In a healthy church, we need all kinds of people. You know, you see people sometimes in churches and they say, oh man, we're, we're, our church is geared toward young people. Or, or, or you have churches that, that, that don't do anything for young people because the church is geared towards the older people or the people that have been there for 100 years. And you have this, this community of church where the, there's always this fight between the old people and, and, and their style and what they want and the young people that are coming in and what they want. But you know what? It shouldn't be like that and it can't be like that. We have to unite under one vision. I want you to hear this. This is super important. Our vision here, our, our, our mantra, the, the, the basic statement that we all can get around that's very simple is that we want to know God and we want to make him known. We want to share Jesus. We want to know God. So we want, to, we want to build a community here where our focus is that we develop this friendship of Jesus that John knew. We foster that. We work towards that. And then as we do, we also are living our lives to tell other people about Jesus. So we want to know Jesus and make him known. And, and if that's the vision, then young people and old people and little children and middle-aged people in a community that's the local church, we don't need to fight about the music and the lights and the sound and the color of the carpet. We need to have a, a united vision of, of reaching people for Christ. And that's what John is dealing with and is going to deal with in this section is, is some advice to each group of people. You know, for some young people in here, find somebody that's older, that's been walking with the Lord for longer. Find, find a gal that's been walking with the Lord for 15, 20 years and, and, and connect and, and, and learn from. And you older women, teach the younger women. And you younger women, you know, learn from the older women. And then you older women understand you have something you can learn and you can grow from the young people. And when the young people want to see things done a little bit different, let's do it a little bit different. If, if, if that, that's what, what they want, what ministers to them and what brings us all to know God and make him known. And as long as our vision is Jesus, our heart is Jesus, we can have different styles. Last time I checked, you could still catch, wor- you could still catch fish with worms or lures. You can still catch fish, right? You don't have to. It's not only one way, right way, the only way. If we're fishers of men... We realize that certain men are going to get caught on different different jigs and lures, right? Do I sound like I know what I'm talking about when it comes to fishing? I don't. Actually, I did do some fishing, deep sea fishing. Verse number 12 says, um, I write to you, little children, because your sins are forgiven you for his name's sake. I write to you, fathers, because you have known him who is from the beginning. I write to you, little children, because you have known the Father. I write to you, fathers, because you have known him who is from the beginning. I write to you, young men, because you are strong and the word of God abides in you and you have overcome the wicked one. And so each in each one of those, there's a strength. And the little children, if that's speaking of a spiritual age, it says, because your sins are forgiven. And isn't that the first stage of Christianity? Is your sins being forgiven as a young person? And as a young person in Christ, you get born again, your sins are forgiven. You don't know a lot yet about walking it out and and living this life of Christianity, but your sins are forgiven. And John says, I write to you because your sins are forgiven and you're an important part of the body. And then I write to you fathers because you have known him is from the beginning and you have something to add to this body. And then I write to you young men because you have overcome the wicked one. And, and you, you've defeated, you've, you've matured past that stage, and you have something to add to this thing that we call the body of Christ or the local church. Amen? Let's stand. So, hey, we all have a role to play. We, we all have our part, and I want to encourage you guys in two things this morning. We can have the worship team come up to close us in a song. I want to encourage you guys in two things this morning. Number one is that We've been preaching for weeks now in, in our growing, in our relationship, sorry, in our relationship, in our friendship with Jesus. So I want to encourage you in that. And the second thing is I want to encourage you in our local church to have a part, to have a part of our community and, and find a way that, that, that it's a place that's healthy for all kinds of believers. Is Jesus... Um, does Jesus hold partiality? Do we, do we look around the room and do we see everybody that only looks like us? 
You know, later in life, this guy right here, Greg Rogers, has become one of my best friends in the whole world. And he's a much better friend to me than I am to him, if I'm being honest. But you know, something funny about Greg, I kind of trip about Greg and I, is that we're totally different kind of people. I grew up inner city LA, inner city LA. Greg has like nightmares about inner city LA and just, I don't think he's ever been there. So I don't think he really knows what it's like, but he, he wouldn't want to go there. He tells me, you know, and, and he's, he, he knows everything about cars and I, I think I know where the gas is. And I guess I do because I drive pretty fast. I don't know anything about cars, but you know what? There's something about Christ, right? That, that brings us together, that, that, that gives us a friendship when, when we don't have a ton of those regular things in life where it just doesn't seem to fit. And yet in Jesus, we, we both can add something. In Jesus, we can come together and serve you people together. And Greg, Greg brings a wonderful gift of music and of life and of just friendship. And, and I don't know what I bring, but I bring something that is, is a part of that, that, that gift. And each one of us, we, we have something. You have something that God can use, something that, that God can bring as we come together as community to serve Jesus, to be a body, to be one, and, and, and that we want to love each other. We want to forgive each other. We don't, we don't want to be bickery, and we don't want to be that kind of church that fights over stupid things. Let's love one another, and let's do it with the heart that if we do it well and we do it right, guess what's going to happen? People's lives are going to get changed for Jesus. Amen? Amen. Amen. Let's be a part of that. Amen? Amen? Amen. Let's pray. Jesus, we come before you and we thank you, Lord God, so much, Father, for, uh, for this day, Lord Jesus. We thank you for the, the friendships that we have, God. We thank you, Father, for the love of Christ. And, and Lord, we want to be a part of your body. We want to be a part of your kingdom. We, we, we know that each one of us have different gifts and talents. And, Lord, you don't despise those. And you don't count one better than the other. You tell us very clearly in the Bible that each one is just a differing gift and none is better than the other. To be the preacher, to be the worship leader, to be the usher, that you count them all the same. And so, Lord, we just want to come to you and we want to give of our lives, God. And we want to serve you and we want to know you and we want to make you known. And so, Father, I pray that you pour your spirit out upon this place. Lord, we thank you for for our moms. We thank you for our parents. We thank you for, for this life, Lord Jesus. And we ask your blessing upon it. In Jesus' name, amen.